I spent my college days throwing perfect passes and trash-talking BYU. And I spent my college career smashing Utah Utes' faces into the mud. I'm Jason Buck. And I'm Scott Mitchell. After our careers in the NFL, we still talk trash. But mostly to each other on our podcast, Rivals. We talk all things football, college, and NFL. A little bit about life and growing up rivals. Download it each week wherever you get your podcasts or on the KSL Sports app. Go Cougs! And go Utes! I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Mark Preston. I mean, one, one interesting thing that I, I learned from Honda, actually, and from my MBA is that um, a lot of people call that strategic intent and sort of say, I want to get there, over there in the future. Um, I believe it's possible to do a new energy. I believe it's possible to do an electric race car. Um, that's my strategic intent. Um, this is part two of our interview. Um, so, Mark, for anybody who missed part one, uh, can you give us just the 30-second on how you guys got to the top of Formula E and, and, in fact, what Formula E is for anybody who might not know? Sure. Um, Formula E started about four years ago. Um, it was the brainchild of Alejandro Agag um, and the FIA, John Todd. They uh, wanted to look at the future of motor racing. So we race electric racing cars in the first four years of the series, which is just finished. We um, had to have two cars per driver because um, the technology hadn't kind of caught up with where we needed to be. Uh, now we have one car per driver for season five, and, and that starts um, in Riyadh in, in the month. In December, um, we'll be racing with uh, 12 races, um, or 12 events and 13 races around the world. We'll get to New York, Paris, um, places like Riyadh, Marrakesh, and South America and Mexico. So, yeah, all around the world. Um, we won the Drivers' Championship last year, and um, that was an amazing ride because we'd only really started the, our new team, Tachita, in uh, Season 3. So after two seasons as the only customer team, in the sport, we, we won the Drivers' Championship and um, went down with the wire with Audi and came second in the Teams' Championship. So uh, we've had an exciting ride over this last year. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about, you know, after being, you know, principal one of the principal designers for McLaren and working with, with Honda uh, after that and and now um, being team principal over here at Tachita, uh, how you've you really have to expand the, you, you know, the buck stops at you. You, you kind of take care of the big picture. Um, one of the things that you talked about was marketing. And I, I want to talk about this because when you think about folks who are trying to transform an, an organization from the inside, maybe it's a bit too bureaucratic or they want to become more innovative, they really need to market internally and, and win over the hearts and minds of their own organization, right? Um, yes. And then, and then for anybody else who's innovating their products, you know, they have to, they have to attract the customers, right? Or they won't be innovating that product very long. Um, do I understand you guys are the only independent team in Formula E, or am I saying that wrong? Uh, in season, in season four, three and four, we were the only independent team. Now okay. we have a, 
a factory team with us. So now we're with DS. So we become, I suppose, what's called a factory team. Okay. And and um, can you talk about the the business of F1 and and what it takes to what it takes to to attract uh, a you know a DS to to come with yeah. you on something like this? Yeah, I mean, um, just going back to your original question about um, marketing internally, actually a few of the sponsors we've had over the last few years have actually joined Formula E to show internally that they are looking at the future, that the future is important, that they're interested in technology, um, interested in change, looking at what's happening in the world. Um, so a lot of those the companies that sponsor us have internal marketing um, budgets and and communications. Uh, so there's often a department internally that communicates what they're doing in Formula E and why they're doing it and why they're looking at the future and what they think about um, how, how the world is changing. Um, externally, um, I mean, Formula E is a, a great place to be because we are, you know, we're hopefully leading the future. It's just sort of digressing for a second. It's, it's amazing about four years ago when we first started in Formula E that nobody really wanted to talk to us it's amazing how fast it's changed i can't describe um how how fast the opinions have changed in uh in motor racing and in automotive to join formula e it's it's really exponential the growth of the series and that's one of the reasons why sponsors um, and partners want to be involved in the series is because it's it's changing rapidly you know you see china pushing really hard on um, um, EVs uh, for clean air. It's, you know, up until now, um, I think a lot of the emphasis has been on CO2, of course, uh, emissions. But you know what? When you can actually touch and feel pollution, that really makes a difference. And so, you know, China's pushing very hard on clean air, as is uh, a lot of the European countries. The US, um, a lot of the places around the world are pushing towards cleaner air. There's a lot of discussion on sustainability, we see a lot of things going on in energy. I think you said you used to be in energy. I'm amazed at little things like, um, did you know that the, the UK has run on uh, no coal for one day for the first time since the Industrial Revolution? There's, <laughs> you know, big parameters like that changing around the world. So Formula E, let's say, embodies uh, what's happening, embodies the pioneering spirit of changing um, the industry that I started in, you know, 30 years ago when I left university. Um, so it's an exciting place to be, and I think that is something that sponsors and partners want to be involved in, and they want to be seen to be part of that and to be pushing that that change in the world. Uh, we've got a, a sponsor of ours is um, Effisec. They're um, a Portuguese company who does fast chargers, and so they've joined us in order to showcase their technology to help us with our charging um, with the cars, help us make less errors and do a better job at keeping the batteries alive and energy management um so they want to you know they want to express to the world that they're you know at the forefront of what's happening in this in this world of course ds likes the fact that we're a winning team um you know ds has come with us because of our, our parent company is uh is based in china so we're doing it our team is actually uh runs under a chinese license so we have the chinese flag let's say on our on our car so that's a big market for the the industry. Um, that's a big market for DS. They're interested in in being um, in in China in a big way. So this whole change in the world, um, sustainability, um, you know, green energy, those kind of things, um, are all part of what Formula E stands for. And 
people basically want to be involved and, and tell the world that they are and show the world how they are involved in this in this big change. Yeah. And can you talk about your choice? You know, obviously you were you were getting into this before it was the most popular thing around. And and you had come <laughs> from, you know, the highest heights of, of the more traditional part of the sport. Can you talk about your choice to come over? Yeah, sure. I mean, it was interesting because, of course, when I first left university, I knew nothing about electric cars, never, never even considered there'd be such a thing as an electric car, let alone an autonomous car, um, for that matter. Um, when I um, finished uh, McLaren, I actually did my MBA at Oxford University and, um, funnily enough, started the Formula One team at the same time, um, which was a bit crazy. But what it meant was when the Formula One team had finished, I started helping some spin-out companies from Oxford University, um, one called Oxford Yasser Motors, which is an electric motor company, um, and another one uh, at the time was called T-Tech, which was a tidal energy company that was spinning out of Oxford. And that got me interested in the world of renewables and what was happening next. And I felt at the time that Formula One wasn't really going forward into the future and changing things the way I like to, to change things. I mean, Formula One, when I first came into it, felt like we were learning all the time. And But then over time, I suppose things weren't changing dramatically enough. And I started to get involved um, in electric uh, cars and stuff. And when the FIA first put the tender out for um, supplying electric race cars, the composites company I was working at the time, we, we pitched for the tender um, for the cars. Um, Alejandro got the project in the end and, and was the one behind it all. Um, and then we joined, you know, very, very early on. It was funny. A lot of our ex-colleagues in Formula One just said, you know, you're mad. What are you doing that for? Um, but now they all want to be involved, funnily enough, only four <laughs> years later, which shows how quickly it's changed. It's, it's really surprising how negative people were back in 2013-14 uh, um, and how that's changed so much in 2018, which is a great thing because it means that, you know, the sport's heading in the right way. And, you know, we're all heading in the right way with this with this whole push yeah. towards green energy and, and, and different powertrains, et cetera. So it's quite phenomenal to be involved in that. And I like being pioneering. And as I learned, you know, at the very beginning of F1, it's, it's I enjoy going too far over the edge, <laughs> going to the edge of the envelope. So this is the edge of the envelope. I remember when we first started um, talking to one of the guys, uh, McLaren, I think it was, and, and Williams about batteries and I said, how does this work? And they said, I don't know. We're, we're still all learning, aren't we? And that was how new it was at the beginning um, of Formula E. Now, we've all learned a hell of a lot more since since then. And those guys did an amazing job at um, getting these electric race cars off the ground. Um, but now it's you know going from strength to strength. We have nine manufacturers in the series this year. I think there's, a, there's another one when, when Porsche and Mercedes join properly next year. Um, the competition's super high, and I really hope we're going to push really far the, the boundaries of um, electric cars and electric racing. That's awesome. Well, let's take a quick break from our sponsor and, and uh, makes me think of some questions I want to ask you as soon as we get back. So Mark, right before the sponsor break, um, I was thinking about this world and, you know, I guess from an investment banking background, I have some ideas about how you put a real estate deal together, how you, how you do yeah. venture funding for a tech startup or uh, you know, um, some of, some of the energy company acquisitions I was a part of. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but for people who don't understand the scope of starting an F1 team, I mean, without sharing <laughs> any secret sauce, I mean, how, how big are the numbers as far as dollars people need to put together and, 
And, you know, how big an effort is this? So, I mean, if Formula One, so, you know, Formula One's budget, you, you can see there on the internet, go as high as three or 400 million without um, pounds, that is. Um, yes, you can read on the internet about what Mercedes, uh, I think they put their company accounts out last year, last week. Um, we were probably only a tenth of that at the moment. So Formula E is a lot cheaper um, yeah. than, than Formula One. We have caps on the costs of things, and that helps to keep the prices down um, of the sport at the moment. Uh, so that's that's important. Um, when we started the Formula One team with Super Aguri and Honda, basically they wanted to do another team. So at the time, we were putting together a technical plan to start a Formula One team, and they were looking for a group of people that could could um, deliver on that. So that's how we got um, the whole deal came together with um, Honda, Super Aguri, and a, and a bunch of guys that had worked together previously. So um, some, I think, you know, they always say a lot of it's to do with timing, isn't it? And it was just the right time that we were we were pitching that. Um, in terms of Formula E, um, I'm a bit of a believer in you know standing in the middle of the road and waiting the car for the car to hit you. And what I mean is, be at the right time <laughs> at the right place. You know what I mean? Um, yes, but a much so more always, visual version of the cliche. Yeah. <laughs> so I've always put myself in the what you know when when I first said to people. Um, I wanted to start a Formula One team. They said I was an idiot. And when I said I wanted to start a Formula E team, they said I was an idiot. But um, so I think you've, to be ahead, it's sometimes, you know, most people would say it wouldn't have the guts to do it. But that comes from all that, all those people I've worked with in Formula One where they always want to go over the edge, you know, too far. Let's well, say. and I want to talk about this because how do you how do you make your decision of, okay, everybody says I'm an idiot. I really want to do this. Um, am I the one who's out of tune or are they the ones who are out of tune? How, how do you, knowing that you're going to make mistakes sometimes and they're going to be wrong sometimes, what aids you in making that decision of, man, the feedback I'm getting is not positive here, but I'm feeling strong about it. How do you balance that out yourself? I mean, one, one interesting thing that I, I learned from Honda actually and from my MBA is that um, a lot of people call it that strategic intent and sort of say, I want to get there, over there in the future. Um, I believe it's possible to do a new energy. I believe it's possible to do an electric race car. Um, that's my strategic intent. Um, I think I've heard a great story from Honda. Uh, when they do Formula One, um, they do it so that their engineers um, believe the impossible is doable, let's say. Um, so when they're in Formula One, they have large budgets, they have amazing people, very uh, incredible resources to do the Formula One uh, development. And just about, I almost think that almost anything's possible sometimes, um, and certainly in, in, in motorsport, because um, some days you think something's impossible, the next day it's you find a solution. It's just incredible when you've got a really smart bunch of people around you. So I think if you see something that looks possible and doable and you think that you're at the forefront and as always I suppose we all think we're the smartest people in the room um, then if you think it's possible but let's say 30 or 40 percent of people are saying it's doable and 60 percent are saying it's not then maybe you're in the right place um, that's certainly sometimes how I think and I've, I've read a few things that I think um, from some of the famous generals um, say similar things you know uh, you don't need 100 percent certainty maybe some I think some generals say it's seventy uh, percent. Uh, some people say it's just below the fifty percent. So I suppose it's that feeling of you're from your experience, you're pretty sure it's doable. 
and um, there's a couple of other people saying it's doable, and a lot of people saying it's not, then maybe you're it's in you're in the right place. That's I suppose when you feel like you're pioneering, let's say. Yeah, you know, um, I, I'm thinking about when you were talking about uh, on the first episode how people don't realize just how far Ferrari pushes things, for instance, right? And that yep. kind of what a benefit you got to to have a mentor um, early in your career to help you think about that. And it's obviously uh, look at look at how you're doing it yourself. Um, you know, so I you know our, Mylan, we've got all these uh, corporate corporate clients and, um, you know, I'm thinking about a large banking institution client of ours. And, uh, I'm thinking specifically one of the, one of the leaders, they have some folks who are really out there, um, making a lot of business for the bank. And then he's got some other folks who are not, uh, he says they don't have enough fire in the belly. And, uh, <laughs> I'm interested if you have any thoughts of, if you were advising someone like that to help people want to push it to the limit and want to, maybe become a bit more ambitious. If you'd have any advice for leaders or managers who want to, who want to surround people with the idea of possibilities and, and pushing. I think um, what I find is you have to have room to experiment. And, you know, often I, I do my things myself. <laughs> I just bought myself a Renault Zoe. Um, this is, might sound crazy, but I bought a little electric car originally, and that's what we started Street Drone from. I bought a Renault Twizy to play around with an electric car and to learn about it. Um, it only cost me £5,000, so it wasn't a ridiculous amount of money. Um, so if it all went wrong, okay, I'll lose some money, but it's not too crazy. So I think sometimes you have to have controlled experimentation, um, and I'm not sure what that might be, but let's say um, in motor racing, we want to experiment with how we um, uh, warm up the tires or how we uh, run a certain piece of software you can do sort of small increments um, and do experimentation that's that's bounded, let's say. So if someone's in a bank, obviously they could buy billions of dollars of some sort of shorting um, things, which is obviously not the right way to experiment. But certainly, I, I certainly like the incremental um, uh, experimentation when you're not sure how far you can go. So if you, so I found myself often with with motorsport where we. We went a little bit over the edge of the envelope. We knew where we were now, and we knew where we we thought what was possible. So we would say, okay, we can go a little bit over the limit because we think this may or may not work because we don't have models to support this this um, hypothesis. So let's do a hypothesis and go a little bit over the limit. Maybe we're actually right or wrong, actually, and you can go further than we thought because the models have never been done. Um, but maybe sometimes you were right and you do go over the edge, but you can also know that you can come back. So how do you find a way to experiment? Um, experiment, fail fast, fail early, as they, as they say, but not fail with potentially too much risk. So I suppose in motor racing, we do take risk, but we don't take um, a ridiculous amount of risk. And we also always know where we can come back to if um, this new idea doesn't work. So I, I don't mean go and buy, you know, Coca-Cola tomorrow and um, and then uh, realize you made a mistake, but you might be able to experiment um, with with theories. And as people gain confidence, then um, you can let people experiment. Maybe the people who do make the bigger calls in those banks, maybe they just got more experience and uh, a more maybe they have a way of experimenting themselves that you don't realize potentially that they, they actually increment quite quickly and find the, the limits. Um, I don't believe often people can just make one big bet and get it right. So I think how do you experiment? 
how do you yeah how do you tease where the edge of the the envelope is without uh, uh let's say breaking the bank yeah now on the other side of things when you um when you think about the other side not the experimentation side but the reliability side you know the, sure. the drivers get so much attention but I mean, the, the, the level of reliability from your pit crews or, or the rest of the staff is, is pretty incredible of a feat. Um, there's so many organizations that wish they had a culture of that level of precision and performance and reliability. Um, do, you, do you have any advice about taking lessons from Formula One or Formula E pit crews to, to the rest of the kind of organizations the rest of us run? Yeah, I mean... Um... My uncle once gave me a nice diagram, which imagine there's a person pushing a rock up a hill, a big rock, um, and that's like pushing performance up a hill. You know, you slowly work your way up the hill. But if you don't put a, let's say, a chalk, you know what I mean, a, mm-hmm. a, a Tied, wedge yeah, under the, the rock, wedge, yeah. it'll yeah, it'll roll backwards. So when I went back to my point about what I learned so much about McLaren was the way they codify and yeah, the way they codify experience and they put in processes and procedures to to not make the same silly mistakes again that is incredibly important so to me that's like the wedge under the rock um sometimes i've been at teams where things go up and down all the time because people don't write things down they don't codify things they don't make processes and procedures to stop the silly errors um because you know we all make mistakes and sometimes we need to follow We've had to follow um, route learning in some ways. So the guys in the pit stops, they, you know, they practice and practice and practice to be able to do the same thing exactly the same way every time, just like a golfer or another sports person and just like a driver. Um, they can practice back at the factory, um, but we also have a lot of processes and procedures that go behind that. So quality is super important. Um, you know, We made a couple of mistakes last year, so did Audi, they won the the team's championship. We won the drivers' championship, and a lot of it came down to not making errors, basically. Um, and so, on one hand, you're always pushing, trying to push too far over the edge. Um, but on the other hand, the things that work, you need to make sure that they're set in stone. Um, the way that person pumps up the tires, the way that person takes a a wheel nut off the off the car, is always the same way, until someone comes along with something better. And you experiment and maybe try it and say, yep, that is better. Right, change the procedure, change the process. Do that now the same way every time until one of us, anybody, mechanic, engineer, comes up with another idea. So it's that pushing the rock up the hill kind of idea. If you're going faster, you should be going up the hill. And every time you go up a little bit further, make sure you put the wedge in and yeah, yeah. don't you know, don't go backwards, basically. And so don't wh- go backwards. And so what does putting the wedge in look like for you guys? Is it is it written? Does somebody shoot a little video of it? Do guys sit in the room and review it and then go out to the car and watch it and they have to do it a hundred times until everybody knows they can do it perfectly? Like what is what does that look like tangibly? So um the the you start with the basic things like um what pr- what pressure of the wheel guns at, what um uh, what wheel nut do we use, what um grease do we use in the in the wheel nut, um, all of those very basic things, they're written down and they're codified, let's say. Um, and that's the, the written down stuff. But then the actual physical movements that the that the uh, mechanics have to do, for example, to change the wheels or to make a change to a battery or to change an engine, that all comes down to 
you know, stepping through it in a, um, in a logical fashion. Um, but then that requires people to learn it. So just that's the physical side of it. So then we'll have some videos, like you say, um, so they can watch the way they do things. They can even change the way they, you know, where they stand, which side of the car they stand on. If they're trying to change something very quickly, you'll do things like you'll lay out all the tools with um, green sticky tape on them, let's say, to say these, the green ones are what you need to use to do this procedure so that there's no thinking required almost. When you go to the toolbox, you grab the ones with the green stickers because that means the left-hand side of the car and maybe the red stickers might mean the right-hand side of the car. So you reduce errors. You reduce every um, eventuality, uh, take out all the randomness um, in, the, in the process uh, to make sure it's just, you know, it happens over and over again exactly the same way. Yeah. And is it just meaningful repetitions of practice it enough times until they have the muscle memory of it? Or, or how does that? Yeah, that, you do muscle memory, but then you also do things, as I say, like colors. So you might have colors on tools. Uh, you might have um, other aids. You might have some uh, signs and things to say what you've got to do. So, you know, you'll have um, a sign on the car that says make sure uh, to take this this thing off the car before you start the car and just lots of things to remind you kind of error proofing um, every time yeah error proofing basically you go through everything and just reduce any problem so if there is a problem then you all look at the videos you'll figure out why did that go wrong you we have things called fault lists where you know we have things i said before car stoppers things that happen that stop the car running they're number one to six and then number twos might be problems that we can get away with but we really should fix uh, so that might be things to make things faster um, and so you just work down the list methodically look at what why the problem happened look at what you can fix come up with ideas about how to fix it and then implement them either written down or in tools or procedures uh, as you get as time goes on i love it well um obviously everybody should be checking you guys out go to dstachita.com which is D-S-T-E-Cheetah, like the animal, dot com. Um, you guys are all over on social. Uh, and anything else that you would tell people who want to find out more about about uh, the team and Formula E in general? Yeah, just follow us on uh, follow us on that. You can um, also, I'm not sure what channels people will be watching, but you can look up the ABB FIA Formula E Championship. They've got an app, so you'll be able to uh, download an app on iOS and, and Google and you can follow the teams and you can see when the next races are and follow drivers and, and uh, yeah, check out the first race in Riyadh. Oh, this has been great. Thanks so much for making time for us. No problem. Thank you. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want. 
change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.